If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. The Reckoning with Timothy Shea on today's News Talk TNT Radio. Well, let me make sure I got this correct because, you know, sometimes I get a little confuzzled. Joe Biden knew at the time that he took highly confidential and classified documents, both when he was a senator and vice president. He was fully cogent then. So he knew what he was doing and he knew what he was doing was wrong. But he can't be prosecuted because now he has replaced Brussels sprouts as America's least favorite vegetable. But he's perfectly fine to continue serving as president. But he's not going to have a cognitive test at his next physical. But Donald Trump, who knew that he was well within his legal rights to remove the few classified documents that he removed, is being criminally prosecuted. Do I have that correct? I think I do. I think I do. And I think that all of that tells you exactly what's wrong with America, what's going on. Moreover, why? We all know what's going on. And we know why. And we know by whom. This isn't Joe Biden's presidency. Joe Biden is lucky if he can stay on his feet long enough to earn his pudding cup at four o'clock. And if he puts four days in a row of getting pudding, he gets Fruit Cup Friday. And they give him two little halves, cherry halves as a special treat. They have to jack him up with who knows what concoction, probably the same thing that they gave poor Elvis so that he could get on stage. And then, of course, Joe has to take his naps all day long. I mean, all day long. He wakes up late, takes a nap in the middle of the day from all reports, goes to bed early. Sometimes they pull they call a lid at the White House, meaning no more news stories for the day, at 11 a.m. or noon. It's unheard of. Absolutely unheard of. But Donald Trump, but, 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 but Trump. All these butthurt TDS people just need to go get another gene jab booster. Seriously. Maybe one of them will take effect. Kickstart your cognitive functions. Donald Trump works on five and a half hours sleep a night regularly. He works late into the night, gets up early, works all day long, <laughs> lives off diet, diet Coke, which isn't the best thing to be living off of, or maybe it's diet Pepsi. I don't know. They're all the same. They're both owned by BlackRock, State Street and Vanguard. Doesn't matter which one you drink. Diet's bad, though. Diet's the worst because, number one, your body thinks it's getting sugar, so it ramps up for sugar digestion. Mm, no sugar. So now your body's spinning its wheels hormonally and uh, digestively. And then the carbonic acid, any soda, is bad for you if you drink enough of it. I mean, occasional is not bad. But if you are a regular soda drinker, like several sodas a day, you're going to end up acidifying your blood with the carbon dioxide the carbonic acid in there. So that's not a good thing. Diet's the worst thing you can put in your body. Soda's probably the second thing. And uh, French fries, fried chicken, and pizza 
are third on the list, but way back behind diet soda and regular soda. So I think we're safe there with French fries, fried chicken, and pizza. But this whole phony, phony baloney, Joe Biden's not too old for to run for re-election, but Donald Trump is too old to be president. Donald Trump shouldn't be running because Donald Trump's too old and Donald Trump is younger than Joe Biden. I mean, these people literally think you're stupid. They're not stupid. They they know the lies they're telling. They're not stupid. In fact, they're too clever by half because every time they, but, 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 but Trump, but Trump confused Trump. Trump said, yeah, Trump says Obama all the time. He's done it at least nine times by latest count. And they still haven't figured out that he's doing it intentionally. He's doing it to telegraph to people that Biden's not the president. Obama is. And yet these butthurt never Trumpers, not only didn't they get the memo, to them it must have been written in Sanskrit. I'm Timothy Shea, and this is The Reckoning. At TNT, we never go home. We're committed to bringing you our take on the biggest topics of our time. We broadcast live 24-7, online, globally, no matter what. We've got you covered on today's News Talk, TNT. Keeping the commitment. I love you guys. Unbelievable. 24-7. Listen to you every day, half for years. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Some European leaders, I wonder which ones, appeared flustered after President Donald Trump suggested that he might not uphold the United States' commitments towards certain NATO nations if elected president for a third time, with the military alliance's chief warning that such rhetoric puts the West's security at risk. Here with the story, joining me now is TNT News producer Adam Clark, a.k.a. Ruckus. Thanks, Timothy. Trump elected for the third time, but he's only been president. Oh, I see what you mean. All right, good one. Um, by the way, kudos on the Brussels sprouts joke. That was great. I was laughing. You know, you got to work right, so, that in whenever you can. <laughs> so we've got, uh, we've got the NATO chief. Um, I thought his name was Jan Stoltenberg, but I guess it's Jens. I really could be wrong. I could be right. Who knows? But anyways, you you all know Stoltenberg, head of NATO. Uh, he said in a statement on February 11th, according to The Guardian, in response to what Trump was saying that, quote, any suggestion that allies will not defend each other undermines all our security, including that of the U.S. and puts American and European soldiers at increased risk. I expect that regardless of who wins the presidential election, the United States will remain a strong and committed NATO ally, end quote. So I guess uh, that's what he's expecting. Um, but, you know, he could be served up a nice heaping plate of disappointment. Um, he affirmed, uh, Stoltenberg did, that attacks on NATO, <laughs> like verbally um, or literally, actually, in this case, uh, any attack on NATO would be met with a, quote, united and forceful response, end quote, and that the coalition remains, quote, ready and able to defend all allies, end quote. Uh, Stoltenberg's statements came after Trump suggested at a rally, a rally, a rally, excuse me, uh, over the weekend. It was February 10th. I think that was Saturday uh, that members who don't meet the group's two percent defense spending target would not be protected by the United States in the event of a second Trump presidency. 
Uh, here's what he said at the rally. Quote, one of the presidents of a big country stood up and said, well, sir, if we don't pay and we're attacked by Russia, will you protect us? I said, you didn't pay? You're delinquent. He said, yes, let's say that happened. No, I would not protect you. In fact, I would encourage them to do whatever the hell they want. You got to pay. You got to pay your bills, end quote. Uh, according to a 2023 NATO report, only seven out of the 31 allies met the 2% GDP spending target on defense in 2022. Um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, someone else who wasn't very happy about this would be Polish defense minister. What? Well, Ladzlo Kozniak Kadmiz. And he said, uh, in a February 11th post on X, quote, NATO's motto, one for all, all for one, is a concrete commitment. Undermining the credibility of allied countries means weakening the entire North Atlantic Treaty Organization. No election campaign is an excuse for playing with the security of the alliance, end quote. At the core of the alliance, of course, is the commonly repeated idea that there's an agreement that an attack on one member is an attack on all, i.e. if the, somebody gets attacked in the alliance, then the others are supposed to jump in and join the fight. Uh, the NATO alliance, uh, according to European Council President Charles Michel, uh, the alliance has, quote, underpinned the security and the prosperity of Americans, Canadians and Europeans for 75 years. Uh, he adds that, quote, reckless statements on hashtag NATO's security and art five solidarity serve only Putin's interest. They do not bring more security or peace to the world. On the contrary, they reemphasize the need for the, quote, I mean, hashtag EU to urgently further develop its strategic autonomy and invest in its defense and to keep our alliance strong, end quote. Uh, for its part, Russia has not responded to these statements. Um, and there's a bit of a divide on the Republican sides uh, concerning Trump's NATO comments. Uh, some are actually critical of his position. You'll never guess who. Oh, that's right. GOP presidential challenger Nikki Haley, who's all about it. Uh, she says, quote, what bothers me about this is don't take the side of a thug who kills his opponents. The last thing we ever want to do is side with Russia. End quote. This is apparently what she said in an interview with CBS. She furthermore said, quote, what we always need to remember is that America needs to have friends, end quote. Ah, all right. Uh, another not surprising war hawk to step up and say something about it. Uh, speaking to Reuters, one Senator Lindsey Graham, Republican from South Carolina, said he disagrees with the, quote, way Trump said it, end quote. On the other hand, Russia, quote, didn't invade anybody, end quote. During the Trump presidency, the senator noted, quote, and if he's president again, they won't, end quote. Uh, senator Rand Paul called the former president's NATO comp comments a, quote, stupid thing to say, end quote. That's according to Politico. Uh, and Senator Lisa Murkowski, uh, also Republican, uh, she's from Alaska, said the statements were, quote, uncalled for, end quote. So uh, and I think one more. Who was it? Oh, Senator Marco Rubio uh, dismissed criticism during an interview with, Sen uh, with CNN, pointing out that, quote, he's not the first American president. In fact, virtually every American president at some point in some way has complained about other countries and NATO not doing it. 
And then he says, quote, you know, Trump's just the first one to express it in these terms. But I have zero concern because he's been president before. I know exactly what he has done and will do with the NATO alliance. But there has to be an alliance. It's not America's defense with a bunch of small junior partners, end quote, et cetera, et cetera, Timothy. But what are your thoughts about our involvement with NATO? I know Trump has criticized them before and even threatened to completely pull out. But what do you think about all of that? Well, I think that Rand and Lisa, although she should be running as a Democrat and have a D after her name because she's even now, even now that the Crypt Creeper is six feet under, Lisa's still doing everything Diane Feinstein wanted her to do, die spy herself. Yeah, the comments weren't necessary. And yeah, they were stupid if you don't realize what he's doing. He's not speaking to NATO. He's not speaking to Putin. He's not Putin's puppet. In fact, Putin pretty much did whatever Donald wanted because he respected his strength. And Putin's not a Trump stooge. You don't hear people in Russia saying, oh, Putin is Donald Trump's stooge. No. Trump was a leader. Putin is a leader. Trump is a lion. Putin's a lion. Lions know they don't need to mess with each other when there's a whole bunch of sheep lying around. And that's all these other people are. What did Trump do when he was president? He made Germany finally pay up. Angela, thank you. Thank you for finally meeting your treaty obligations. Too many countries have ridden on America's coattails to our detriment for too long. I would go further than the president. I would say until they pay up their arrears, the dues they owe in arrears, keep current and, and stop sending people here illegally, right? Because a lot of the illegals are coming through these countries. You can't have it both way, Europe. You can't go loudmouthing around knowing that your big brother is going to protect you. And then do your best to stab your big brother in the back. Doesn't work that way. Trump is sending a message loud and clear to Berlin, to Paris, to Brussels, and all the other state capitals, national capitals that are on the naughty list. Naughty list being those that haven't kept current with their treaty obligations. These countries are like welfare recipients. They want all the benefits, but they don't want any of the responsibilities. What do you mean I got to sign up to, for work? What do you mean I got to show you that I've applied to 20 jobs in the last week in order to keep my check? With rights come responsibilities, and it's time that our NATO partners start being partners, the ones that are behind. Now, as to the future of NATO, do we really need NATO? I think we probably need some security organization, but I would argue Russia should be part of it. Russia, being both a European and an Asian nation, if people were smart for a second, they'd realize that Russia can be an invaluable partner to keep China at bay. 
Russia shares an immense border with China. If Russia were in NATO, because Vladimir Putin has absolutely no designs on Western Europe. He's, he knows history. That's what the whole first hour of his interview with Tucker was, a history lesson. He knows how Napoleon failed. He knows how Hitler failed. He's not going to make the same mistake they made in reverse. He just doesn't want enemies at his doorstep and who can blame him. If Putin were putting missiles in Toronto, you'd better believe the Americans would be upset about it. I think we need to bring Russia into the community of nations like we should have in 1994, like we said we were going to do, and like they expected us to do. But instead, we dismissed them, we disrespected them, and we disregarded them. And now we're having to eat the fruits of those poor labors. Bring Russia into NATO and refocus NATO in opposition to China and to the Arab terrorist world, Iran and its proxies. Might be too late to bring Russia in, though, now that the BRICS is a thing. Right? Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South America, they're now adding more and more and more countries. So that horse might have already left the barn, Adam. I don't know if uh, it's too late, but that would be my recommendation. Bring Russia into NATO and then refocus NATO's efforts against fighting a non-existent threat in Russia and start focusing on a real threat which is the third world takeover of Western civilization. Thanks for a great story. Last December, Julian Assange's two-day public hearing was announced for February 20th and 21st at the UK High Court to determine whether Julian will have permission to appeal or whether he'll be extradited to the United States. TNT will be at the Royal Courts of Justice, broadcasting and covering the entire two days if required. Then TNT will broadcast from various locations throughout London to get people's reactions. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's news talk, TNT. TNT's Kate Shimarani. I'm of the, the belief that your body can totally, 100% heal itself. If you remove the offending things and you flood your body with what it needs. What do your dogs and your kids do when they get sick? They lie down and sleep, don't they? They don't want to eat. They get great big temperatures and they just want to rest. What, do you think you're a special special snowflake? You're any different? No, that's you as well. But what do they want to do when you go to the hospital? I've seen it firsthand in the last couple of weeks. They're just going to serve you rubbish food, wheat, sugar, dairy, animal protein, tea and coffee, fluoridated, fluoridated, bromine, water, drugs, pharmaceutical petroleum-based drugs. Kate Shamarani on today's News Talk TNT. Affordable housing, we can build that. Sustainable housing, we can build that. At MIT Modular, we understand the importance of housing for all and the importance of design, cost, and functionality. Our goal is to meet the needs of our growing population by converting shipping containers to livable units. If you're like-minded and in a position to invest in something meaningful and life-changing, we want to hear from you. We are a team of professional architects, engineers, and financial and tax experts dedicated to offering unique solutions that provide a brighter future. Our Opportunity Zone Fund offers investors both real estate and operating business diversification. 
five-year tax deferral on capital gains, annual tax benefits, and ultimately tax-free appreciation potential. There are opportunity zones all over America. If you're interested in learning more about our services, need affordable housing, or want to participate in creating a new vision for tomorrow, give us a call in the U.S. on 385-985-5702 or read more at MITModular.com. MIT Modular. We can build that. Plug in. Website. TNTradio.live. Check it out. Today's News Talk Radio. It's the coolest. TNT. Walker Muller is a partner at Siri and Glimstad, one of the nation's leading civil rights law firms and the nation's leading vaccine injury law firm. Before law school, Walker worked at and volunteered for three years in 15 countries throughout Southeast Asia, Oceania, and Africa. While in law school, Walker clerked at the Mississippi Supreme Court and he was also on the school's law review. He was graduated summa cum laude in 2014 and then clerked for a federal judge in the United States District Court for the Western District of Louisiana before working for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, where his practice focused on federal contracts and civil litigation in various administrative courts. Since joining Siri and Glimstad, Walker has litigated employment discrimination matters, class action suits, and constitutional claims in federal courts across the country at both the trial and appellate levels. I'd like to welcome to The Reckoning for the first time, Walker Muller. Hey, Tim. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you. We uh, interviewed your name partner, Aaron Siri, a couple months back, and Aaron said that you are the firm's EEOC, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, expert, and I'm really excited to talk with you because we got what I believe to be, what I've been told is, the only exemption for the gene jab in hospitals in the state of Pennsylvania. A good friend's niece was the uh, top resident. She was the chief resident in her hospital. She was the top of all the charts. Her board scores were higher than those of all her professors. She was clearly the smartest person in the hospital. And yet they were trying to force her out because she refused to get the gene jab. Well, in speaking with uh, Pennsylvania State Senator Doug Mastriano's office, a very kind woman said, it might be productive for you to refer to the EEOC language. And we got to thinking, hmm, and that's how we got the exemption, by going through EEOC. This is really the tried and true path that people need to be treading if they've either been fired for not taking the jab or they were threatened into taking the jab if they took it against their will uh, because they were afraid of losing their job. Yes, yeah, so absolutely. The the uh, the EEOC is is what we call a prerequisite to bringing a lawsuit. So if an employee has has been mandated to take the vaccine, didn't want to, um, and submitted either a, a religious or or a medical exemption, got denied and then terminated. Next step would be you got to go to the EEOC and 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 file uh, what is called a. Uh, a charge of discrimination. Uh, and at that point, the EEOC will investigate and then they'll they'll determine maybe discrimination did happen, maybe it didn't, or we can't tell. And then they issue what's called a right to sue notice. 
the right to sue is the important thing because that's the the golden ticket to to go to court. Congress set up Title VII uh, back in the 60s, and they decided we're going to put this prerequisite in place before employees sue employers on the basis of discrimination. And so uh, there are a lot of claims sitting in the EEOC right now that are ripe for a lawsuit uh, but unfortunately, it can be a, a confusing process. And a lot of people don't understand that, you know, after you get out of that process, then you've got 90 days to file a lawsuit. Um, generally speaking, in some states, you might have some more time if you go through like the EEOC equivalent state forum. But that's fast. You know, 90 days to get a lawsuit together is yes. quite fast. Yeah. In fact, I was going to ask you, is it better to go federal or state, or does it depend on the jurisdiction? Either way, I don't think people should be going it alone. I think they should be hiring a competent lawyer. And as I said in the intro, you folks are are the best in the nation. Yeah, state or federal, um, people hate lawyers for always coming back with the answer. It depends, but it really does depend. Uh, the main thing is to make sure you file with either a state or federal uh, uh, employment discrimination body. Um, because if you don't do that, then you lose the right to file a lawsuit. And, uh, yeah, I mean, as a lawyer, I would tend to agree with you, get, get competent counsel. Um, but it, you know, this is a nuanced area of the law that's developing pretty fast, especially around vaccine mandates. And so if you're able to go get a lawyer for sure, if you're in the EEOC and, and, uh, you know, again, 90 days is a tight window. So start looking sooner rather than later. It is. People don't realize how fast three months goes by and it, it goes by pretty quickly. I've got more questions for you on this topic. After these headlines, you're listening to The Reckoning on today's News Talk TNT. Now, I've got, I've got good news and, and bad news. TNT Radio News. For TNT, this is James O'Neill. Genesee Yvonne Moreno, who previously went by the name Jeffrey and has a criminal history dating back to 2005, was the assailant in the shooting at Joel Osteen's Lakewood Church, leaving two injured. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin is slated to return to his regular duties on Wednesday after being hospitalized due to an urgent bladder condition. Former President Donald Trump attended a private hearing at a federal courthouse in Florida on February 12th related to the discovery of classified documents at his Mar-a-Lago estate. Don't miss a thing. Be sure to download the TNT radio app from either the Apple App Store or Google Play so you can easily listen live to us anywhere, anytime. Available right now to download. Keeping you up to speed on TNT radio. Walker, I'd like to wish you a happy Lincoln's birthday. That's a, a holiday that has gone unremarked since they uh, took it away to make Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, holiday in January, but I always celebrate it. And I think President Lincoln would appreciate what we have in the EEOC. A lot of times people look askance at it that, you know, it, there's a lot of fraud that happens. People make claims that aren't real. But my experience has been that the folks at the EEOC are pretty good at sussing out true complaints, you know, true discrimination from from people crying wolf, the uh, you know the people that have been impacted negatively versus the the Jesse Smollett's of the world. A lot of people, though, especially if they haven't 
as you said, engage competent counsel, might think that a belt and suspender approach is best to file at both the state and the federal level simultaneously. Is that good or are there pitfalls to that approach? I see generally no pitfalls because most, all of the states that we've worked in have a, a cross, like a, an agreement, the state agency and the federal have a, an agreement with each other where if you file with one, it cross files in the other. And so belt and suspenders never hurts, um, never hurts. But the key is getting it into one of those. You know, w- once you get it into one, um, then you've, reserved your your right to to sue later on yeah it's kind of putting a stake in the ground but as you said once you get that determination that letter of right to sue you've only got three months so it would be wise to engage the attorney to help you with the eeoc complaint and at the same time get a head start collecting the facts drafting up the complaint etc getting the documents in order uh to be able to file the lawsuit within that three-month window yeah, absolutely. And, and so, you know, at, at times, um, if an employer sees that they have uh, risk with with the potential claim, a lot of times a lawsuit uh, can be uh, unnecessary. A lot of times you can work out a resolution while you're in the EEOC. Prior well, to and that's exactly, it. yeah, that's exactly what happened with my friend's niece. Uh, the employer saw that we were serious, that we were making this a federal case, if you will. And they immediately backed down and said, oh, no, 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 you misunderstood us. Of course you can have a religious exemption. And of course, our whole whole, uh, desire was just to kick the can down the road in a few months because she only had three months left on her residency. And she's now in the safe state of Florida and, and prospering. Yeah, and Tim, one really good point you made was that, you know, about the EEOC sussing out the the wheat from the chaff, right? And they do a great job of that. And, and Congress put the EEOC in place just for that reason, you know, because they didn't want a lot of people. Unfortunately, do file um, illegitimate claims, lawsuits, mm-hmm. right? And uh, the EEOC is a safe. Yeah, unfortunately, or- most of them happen to work for the current justice Justice Department, but that's another conversation for another <laughs> <Yeah>. day. <laughs> yeah. And, but, you know, and so it does, it, it really, it does have a filter mechanism to where, you know, illegitimate claims um, for the lawyers representing the potential employee, you know, claims and, and for the employer, it, it's a chance to suss out the, the facts. Um, and, and, you know, it, it, it provides a very good mechanism to, to do risk management on both sides. And there's a, another facet of this that I don't think most people consider. And that's if you go along to get along, if you just cave to an unconstitutional and, in my view, immoral mandate to put something that hasn't even been tested into your body that could have severe and foreseen consequences, okay? One of the key elements of a negligence claim, as you know, Walker, is that the harm that resulted from the negligent action or failure to act was reasonably foreseeable. I was out in May and June of 2020, six months before the jabs were even on the market, warning about what the potential downfall could be, the potential negative outcomes. And Walker, sometimes I really hate to be right. Every single thing I predicted is something that the data are showing is occurring. Cancers, 
problems with fertility, uh, problems with uh, cardiac muscle. And now we're even starting to see neurological problems. So the more people say, oh, I didn't want to do this, but I had to to keep my job, the more they don't stand up and say no to bullies, the more they're going to be bullied. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, super important point uh, about people standing up and making their voice heard. I mean, there's there's the legal system where that's the formal way to make your voice heard. And then there's the in, more informal, you know, people, you know, your legislators. Mm -hmm. If you know somebody that's been hurt or family member that's hurt or you have been hurt and you believe it's because of the vaccine, I think the most important thing is to to raise awareness. Um, and, and awareness is raising. Uh, it, it's unfortunate how many people seem to have experienced issues. And I, I think the the that reality is sinking in. Um, and and so courage is contagious. Courage is <laughs> contagious. They, the left wants us to think that we're alone, we're crazy, and that no one will believe us. And yet, as soon as one person speaks up, as soon as one person gets on a TikTok or on an Instagram or a Facebook feed or X video and it goes viral, people realize, wait a second, I'm not alone. I'm not crazy. And people are going to believe me. Courage is contagious. So the more people who are courageous, the more people that stand up, the more people that file EEOC complaints against their employer, the better it will be for everyone. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the goal is um, is for people to have informed consent, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the overarching goal, I think, for that, that uh, a line in the sand that our law firm really holds to is people are entitled to informed consent. That's not going to happen unless people stand up. Um, and then so far as the legal route, you know, you have the employer mandate issues, which is the EEOC. You know, that's the route you, you have to take under the law. And then there's the, the broader picture of uh, when the government uh, compels it or when, when no one compels it, not a government or an employer, and somebody's injured. Um, and, you know, as I, I'm sure your audience is aware, with injuries, you know, Congress insulated the manufacturers from liability for, for injuries right. caused, right? And, and, and essentially, it's very hard to hold anybody accountable for the injuries that are caused, whether it's the employer or the government or the manufacturer. There's a lot of very smart attorneys looking at these issues, a lot smarter than me. And uh, it's a hard, it's a hard veil to pierce through that that liability protection. Um, and so- hey, Walker, isn't it curious that as soon as Congress gave them that blanket immunity, the number of mandated vaccines for children went from seven over their lifetime to 72? Isn't that, isn't that just a curious coincidence? There's certainly correlation there. <laughs> it, <laughs> it, it might even border on the edge of causation. I don't know. I think we're well over that line, sir. I think we're into a regressive analysis, and uh, but for, it's a but for test, but for that blanket immunity, we would not be sticking our beautiful infants with 72 injections, many of them at the same time, and causing horrific neurological damage. 
You're listening to The Reckoning on today's News Talk, TNT. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malzberg. Last week, Christopher Ray, the head of the FBI, testified before Congress and talked all about the threat that China poses to us, and it was downright frightening. The CCP's dangerous actions, China's multi-pronged assault on our national and economic security make it the defining threat of our generation. Now, when I described the CCP as a threat to American safety a moment ago, I meant that quite literally. There has been far too little public focus on the fact that PRC hackers are targeting our critical infrastructure. Seemingly everything we need to survive. Our water treatment plants, our electrical grid, our oil and natural gas pipelines, our transportation systems, and the risk that poses to every American requires our attention now. And get this, we even have a time frame for this impending disaster. The budgets that emerge from discussions underway now will dictate what kind of resources we have ready in 2027, a year that as this committee knows all too well, the CCP has circled on its calendar. Oh, we have three years to neutralize this existential threat. Don't you feel better? I don't. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Ballsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday right here on TNT. Hi, I'm Smokey Bear, and I made an assistant to help you out because only you can prevent wildfires. Hey, Assistant Smokey Bear, call me Papa Bear because I'm grilling up dinner. <laughs> Do you get it? Yes, good job. So what should I do with all these coals? Don't just toss them out. Put them in a metal container because those embers can start a wildfire. I understand. The stakes are high. Ha, 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 ha. See, Smokey thinks I'm funny. Well, welcome to The Reckoning with Timothy Shea on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And folks, if you've been injured or you have a loved one or a friend who's been injured by a vaccine, you can contact Walker at SiriLLC.com. It's one of the nation's best civil rights law firms, and they're willing to work with you to help you get justice. Walker, it's not just the immoral, and I argue illegal, gene jab mandates that governments, both federal, state, and local, have tried to push and and violate their their citizens' religious beliefs, their bodily autonomy. What are some of the other government policies that run roughshod over our constitutional, civil, and moral rights? Oh, I mean, I I can imagine many, uh, you know, here recently in COVID, we saw a series of policies that, you know, related to COVID and not so much vaccines that have been ruled in court to have violated the Constitution. A lot of First Amendment religious freedom issues, a lot of uh, a lot of issues with First Amendment free speech in the Missouri v. Biden case, which the Supreme Court is looking at right now, whether or not to take that up. Um, but, you know, y- you hear of things coming down the pipe um, that I think all everyone can can imagine what types of violations, especially for religious freedom and freedom of speech, that 
that are not hypothetical. They're very much in draft form right now. Um, you know, that we, we need to be vigilant about. And that's an excellent point, draft form, because all the legislation that was pushed during COVID, all of it, had already been on the shelf just waiting to be filed. It's basically boilerplate. They just have to fill in a few details. And all of a sudden, here's a 1,587-page bill that you've got to pass to know what's in it. Yes. Yes. And, you know, you could you could foresee potential for currency, you know, um, digital currencies that might violate people's religious convictions to, mm -hmm. to engage with that. Uh, you could see... Uh, any number of, of medical procedures that could be mandated that violate people's well, religious biometric identification, biometric identification too. That's already yeah. here. Yes, and so I mean, people really. I would encourage. I mean, I'm in the weeds in this stuff all day, but I would encourage people to be vigilant and to engage with their legislators preemptively on this stuff because when it gets into court, it's a lot of times too late. You know, there's only so much. You can do once it gets to that point um preemptively exactly it's the best medicine i think and i hate to inject real politique but your congressman or congresswoman is only going to listen to you if you're one of their donors and if you can't afford to donate a substantial sum yourself substantial meaning up to the maximum what I would suggest is having a community event, having a bake sale, a barbecue or something. It's a fundraiser. Hold a fundraiser in the district, invite the representative and, and get some people there that are willing to write some checks. And that's how you're going to get at least a receptive hearing. You might not get the action you want, but at least you're going to get a receptive hearing. Because if you don't do that, you better believe that Big Pharma is giving that representative a lot of money. And if you find out that Big Pharma is giving your representative a lot of money, you might want to find another representative. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I mean, the 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 approach is to be active by whatever means possible. You know, if this is an issue you care about, thankfully we live in a country where you know, at least in theory, you can engage with legislators and impact change. And and I think after COVID, I think we should all. Uh, take that to heart and become active proactively. No, yeah, no question about it. You're, you're exactly right. It's better to be ahead of the curve and, and be prepared for something before they push it on us than to try to fight back once they have. Now, let's take this up to the 50,000 foot level. Did you What did you major in undergraduate? Were you a, a history major or poli-sci major? I, I was business. Uh, but but uh, I grew up in a home that that certainly loved history. So, well, you've probably read the Federalist Papers. You've probably read uh, some political philosophy, Edmund Burke, and, and the like. And the the social contract is something that's no longer taught in our schools, especially the government schools, because they don't want people to know how our system works. But the social contract is our rights come from God. But we willingly cede some of our rights to the government in exchange for the government doing something for us that either we can't do for ourselves or it would be more difficult to do for ourselves. For example, eh, say enforce a border or defend us from invasion. 
things that the government isn't doing. They're in violation of the social contract. But that quid pro quo that we will give you some of our rights in exchange for you doing something for us that's to our benefit is really the basis of our government, right? That's why it's we the people. That's why the Declaration of Independence says that when government is destructive to these ends, it is the right, it is the duty of the people to institute new government, which will meet those objectives. When you violate someone's rights, however, and there are many instances where the government can violate your rights, First Amendment rights to free speech. Well, it can be regulated, right? The courts ruled that the uh, Moonies could protest, but they had to protest in a certain part of the airport. They couldn't go anywhere in the airport and they couldn't uh, harass anyone. They could stay in a certain designated area and invite people over to talk to them. Same thing with political protests. There's always a an area for protesters to be able to protest. So that's a regulation of free speech. You can't yell fire in a crowded theater if there's no fire because you'll cause a stampede and people could be crushed to death, et cetera. But in order for the government to infringe our rights, there has to be a substantial government interest. And I would argue that nothing that we've experienced in the past five years argues against there being a compelling government interest than the mask mandates. And so I used ridicule. I mocked them with their mask mandate. And that's why Ron DeSantis was not the best governor for COVID in the United States. Ron was on stage in Orlando saying, Florida's open for business. We've got no mandates. We've got, you know, come on down. Meanwhile, not 50 feet away out in the hallway, there was a mask Nazi giving me a hard time because I was wearing this mask. And I said, but I've got my mask on. But, but, but that mask doesn't work. I said, neither does yours. Show me a scientific paper that says that your mask stops a virus. It doesn't. It's like a mosquito trying to fly through my mask. And so ridicule is our most potent weapon. And the more people say, no, there is no compelling state interest here, the better it's going to be for everybody. Because if we don't clip our government's wings, nobody else will. Yes. Yeah, and you made a really strong point. I think that a lot of us, especially if you, you don't study our history as a country, what we don't comprehend as a, a, a collective citizenry is that we're the CEO. We are the CEO of our government. And that's a, a radical change from how, how, how governments were uh, formed in the, before the United States. We're in charge. You know, the citizens are in charge of the government, um, not the other way around. And, you know, I think that's been lost. Um, that's a concept that has been lost. And so what is a compelling government interest that gives uh, those who we have elected the right to, to do a mask mandate? Well, we should be the ones determining what that compelling interest is by who we vote <laughs> who they need to our legislators need to agree with us with what is actually a compelling government interest and i think we got an they, opportunity here in a couple you know in in, in th this coming up upcoming cycle to to tell our legislators what is compelling and what is not i think you're exactly correct and 
I mentioned our your your federal representative, your representative in Congress, but while you might have a receptive ear for your congressional representative, they're they're they've got six hundred thousand or so citizens in their district. And don't forget about your state representative. So many people don't even know who their state representative is, much less have the telephone number, much less have a personal relationship with them. It's a lot easier to have a personal relationship with your uh, local state legislator, even your state senator, than it is for your United States senator that's representing your entire state or your uh, House of Representatives rep who has 600,000 or so people uh, to worry about. The more you engage with these people, it's only natural. The squeaky wheel gets the oil. And as you said, we've got a chance this cycle to inform them what's important to us. And if you want to be a representative, you have to know how we want to be represented. Mm. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, during COVID, what being engaged in litigation on, on all things COVID, what, what I have observed is that state legislators were very effective at countering, you know, uh, what, you know, many saw as draconian federal mandates, whether it's vaccination or uh, vaccination mandates or safety protocols, local legislators were very effective in certain states at countering that and, and protecting their citizens from, uh, you know, what they perceived as gross federal overreach. Yeah, and states don't like it when the feds push them around. And there's been an awful lot of that. And I think we're starting to see state legislators and, and governors even, Texas is leading the way in this instance, pushing back against the feds saying, no, you got to do your job. And if you're not going to do your job, we're going to do it. I, I see a revival of the Ninth and Tenth Amendment, which says that if uh, anything not in the Constitution provided to the federal government is reserved to either the states or to the people. And I think states are starting to realize, wait a second, we've let the Ninth Amendment decay a little bit too much. We need to start getting a little more muscular about that. Yeah, and it's encouraging and it's inevitable, right? When when there is overreach, then, you know, for every action, there's a equal but opposite reaction. You're seeing it at the state levels in certain states that are in disagreement with the with the federal uh, prerogatives. So. Sure, in certain states. And and again, if your state's not one of those certain states, well, how are you voting? Now's not the time to throw up your hands in frustration. Now's the time to get up off the couch and get engaged. Everyone can do something. You either run for office or help someone you like running for office, going out leafleting, canvassing, uh, coordinating events. Everybody can do something. Agree. And should. I, it, it's even, I think it's a matter beyond should. We actually have a duty. And our first duty, Walker, and, and unfortunately too many people don't see this as a civic duty. We've gotten away from talking about civic duties. You know, jury duty, that's one of the civic duties we talk about. Of course, everybody wants to get out of it, which isn't good for our, our judicial system. But one of the duties we have is to vote. And the number of people who aren't voting is unconscionable. And that's my first question. Anytime anybody complains about what's going on at either the federal or state level, my first question to them is, did you vote? And if the answer is no, I said, then you've got no reason to complain. Go vote. 
and you know we can we can be uh, talking about your complaints. But if you're if you're not going to take the time to go down and and fill out a little piece of paper that's going to express your will to the government, then you know I don't know what you're thinking. Yeah, agree, totally agree. And you know I think one thing that people don't engage in the process, this wonderful process that we have, is is distraction. You know. We're just we're yeah. so distracted. <laughs> we're so distracted. And you know, for COVID, I think that woke a lot of people up and, and out of a out of a daze. Um and yeah. so I ironically say, oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Ironically, another thing that's waken awakened people is this phony romance between a singer and a football player that everybody can see. <laughs> is just a put-up job by their respective publicists. The NFL has gained a new audience it didn't have before, and, and the pop singer is now has a bigger platform to push for the Democrats, and everybody sees what's going on. It's getting to the point, Walker, I think hubris will be their downfall. Agree, and I think it's a good sign that the, you know things distractions like that are becoming prevalent. It's a sign that I think probably uh that that side of the aisle is losing if they're resorting to like that apparent of a of a distraction then uh it, maybe it signals that they know they're they're desperate yeah i think we can smell the flop sweat from here well i want to thank you for a fantastic conversation having interviewed aaron I, I now know why he's so excited to have you as one of his partners. Folks, the law firm is Siri, S-I-R-I, in Glimstad, G-L-I-M-S-T-A-D. You can find them at SiriLLC.com. If you've got a, an EEOC complaint, I highly recommend you contacting Walker. Uh, and, and look at their other areas of expertise. They might be able to help you. Walker, thank you so much for coming on tonight. Thank you, Timothy. It's a pleasure. I want to end tonight with a very special message to a very special young woman, grown woman now. 27 years ago, I became a father. It's something I had always dreamed of being. And my little girl was the apple of my eye. She was everything I could have hoped for in a daughter and more. And, and she and her brother, younger brother, uh, were what made my life whole. And for those that have experienced it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And for those who haven't yet, I can't urge parenthood strongly enough. It's the greatest gift we can receive. It's the greatest responsibility we'll ever have to bear. But it's something that will bring untold joy into your life. So to my little girl, happy birthday. That's it for tonight's Reckoning. Stay tuned on today's News Talk TNT for the Havoye Morris Show. I'm Timothy Shea. Until next time, God bless you. God bless these United States. Keep fighting the good fight.